Our study today faces head-on the treadmill of tiredness. In the midst of this culture where materialism operates 24 hours a day, seven days a week, it is time for those who take the Bible seriously to take a hard look at the commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. What should it mean for anyone who believes God actually did have something to say from Mount Sinai to his people? Let's join our Truth Encounter study leader, Dave Wordson, as he identifies the pervasive weariness plaguing Americans, and then goes on to show how God's life-giving commands can give us some answers. Certainly the holidays are a precious time, but they tell us about probably one of the greatest maladies in a human heart. And that malady is that it's very difficult for us to R-E-S-T, to rest. I want you to stop and think about your behavior. Can you stop in an easy chair and put your arms and hands on the two arms of that easy chair and just stop? Can you just stop and be still? Can you be quiet? And some of the wives are nudging their husband and said, man, you have absolutely no trouble at all like that. Man, you do that every single afternoon and you go out like a light. You know, you watch a football game and you're gone in five minutes. But you know, I believe there's some of you that if you begin to think about your life, it's very difficult for you to be quiet and to be still. You have to get up. Some of you housewives are perpetual motion machines. You can never rest. There's always another time of vacuuming that's needed, which there is. There's always another piece of clothing to pick up. There's always another meal to do. And you, even at 2 o'clock in the morning, are still going strong. Now, you have probably the most important job in all the world as a housewife. But the Lord doesn't mean for you to be a perpetual motion machine. Some of you are at work. Some of you are trying to get your own businesses started. And you're trying to get that new thing off the ground. And it can suck you down. And you just feel that awesome weight of responsibility on your shoulders. And, and you just feel in your heart, if I don't make it happen this time, it'll never happen. And so hour after hour, you find yourself even waking up at 3.30 in the morning with all kinds of ideas just moving through your mind. And your mind is like a revved up small engine that's, that's RPMing way over the red mark. Why can't you stop? Why can't you rest? Every song that a guitar player ever ballads out that deals with a theme like this, Daddy, Daddy, please stop. Please rest. We have enough cars. We have enough houses. We have enough clothes. What we really want is time with you. To the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man the moon, and we talk about how that little son goes from being there in a baby crib with all the baby things around them, and then suddenly they're gone for college. They grow into young adulthood. And the story powerfully moves in our heart because daddy didn't have time for his son when he was small. And now that his son has grown, he's become just like dad. There's no time for rest. There's no time for relationship. There's no time for family. If ever there was, an, uh, there was a culture that had all the gadgets that are needed in order to have relaxation, 
America is that society. But do we have rest? Let's turn in our Bibles today to the book of Deuteronomy. We want to look at the commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Let's read it there in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And here we read these words. Observe, or verse 12, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. In the book of Exodus we read, remember the Sabbath day, make it holy. Obey, observe, remember. The idea of those two words, to remember and to observe or to obey, means that the Lord wants us, first of all, to remember what this day is about, and he also wants us to be obedient to him in keeping this day. So it's command, observe the Sabbath day. And the word Sabbath in Hebrew would refer to the seventh day of the week. It would, in Hebrew, come from a word that means to cease. It means to stop doing what you're doing. And the next verse gives us a lot of insight into what it means to stop doing what you're doing. In verse 13 it says, Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. Now the book of Genesis we read that by the sweat of our brow, by hard work, we've got to till the soil. We need to plow up that ground. We need to sow that seed. If we figuratively apply that to all of our professions, as we go out into the Monday morning world of work, there's going to be sweat and blood and sometimes tears. It's the nature of human existence right now. Now before the fall, before the fall of man, work was still there. God still had a task for Adam and Eve to perform. He wanted them to take care of the garden. But before the fall, there wasn't the stress there wasn't the pressure. There wasn't the, the, the tears that came and the tearing down of the human body. Instead, there was just the, the thrill of working on a task. And as believers today, we can go back, and I believe that through the power of Christ, we can once again have that thrill of six days of labor, of working on a task and, and just having our mind and our emotions and our hearts totally encompassed by that task. The Lord told his people, six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day, the seventh day is a Sabbath. It is a time of cessation. It is a time to stop working, in other words. Stop working and remember this is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. Now this is the incredible thing about this command is that I was raised in an environment where we tried to keep the Sabbath day. Now, we didn't keep the seventh day because with the Christian tradition and the fact that Jesus was raised on the first day of the week, in my tradition that I was raised with, we took some of the ideas of the Sabbath and we applied them to the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, and following verses like in Acts chapter 20, it says, now they gathered in Troas on the first day of the week, Paul tells us in the book of Corinthians that we need to, we need to set up what we're going to give to the Lord and, so that, and what we're going to give for the offerings on the first day of the week. In Revelation chapter 1, the apostle John says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. As the second century developed in church history, uh, the Lord's day, the, the shift towards the first day of the week became very strategic and all of the believers across 
the ancient world about the second century started congregating on that first day of the week. And so what we did in my tradition was we took a lot of the supposed concepts and traditions of the Sabbath and moved them over to Sunday. And there were all kinds of customs that related to this. And basically, just to share with you, from my own heart as a child, this command that's been given us here by the Lord that came over into my tradition and, and was applied to the first day of the week, observed the Sabbath day to keep it holy, holiness to me began to mean, no, don't. What in the world can we do? And it became a series of saying, Mom and Dad, what can we do? Now, that, this is an incredible thing, and I want you to see how we do this to almost all of God's commands. Only sinful man could take a command that the Lord God of heaven gives us to stop working and take it to be a bad thing. I mean, how many of you kids would say to someone that came to you and said, I want you not to go to school one day of the week. I want you to stop working one of the days during the week. I want you to can the school teacher. I want you to take a break. I want you to, I want you to play. I want you to rest. I want you to do something different. How many of you kids would think, boy, what a really lousy person? How many would vote for that person that lets you out of school for a day a week? How many of you adults, if you had a boss that came to you, and said, I've just really been thinking about this. And, and seven days of solid work is bad news. You can't take it. In fact, after six days of work, you blow everything anyway, even worse than you usually do. And what I'd like you to do is I want you just to take a total break, total vacation, one day a week. Now, how many of you would think an employer like that that said, you have got to take a break, how many of you would label that person? You can hear it in the lunchroom now. Man alive, who wants to work for this miser? What kind of a person is this that wants us to rest? See how ludicrous it is? And yet, as I think back over my childhood, somehow God's command to stop working and to rest became associated with negative, boring, I can't. I think that's one of Satan's biggest lies. And I think it permeates so much of our approach to our daddy in heaven. Satan is constantly taking the good intentions, the good commands, the good design procedures of God and turning it in a rebellious human heart into I can't, don't, thou shalt not. When what the Lord is telling us is, my command is that every single person in the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 5 they had to take a break. Let's read a little bit further. The Lord gets pretty extensive about who should take a break. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, and that would include husband and wife, neither your husband or wife, nor your son or your daughter, none of the kids can work, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and your maidservant may rest as you do. Now, I want you to see the highlight upon your servants. In the ancient world, as we go back to this culture, we need to understand that in the ancient Near East, the elite class, the, the people that had money, the nobles, you might say, they were the ones that didn't work. By the way, they never worked at all. They never worked because they were the nobles. 
It was kind of like the aristocracy and what we think of as the Mary Antoinette French, uh, just before the French Revolution, where you had the royal court of the great King Louis and, and, and everybody that's nobility, anybody that has any money, does nothing but party and go to balls, while the rest of the population is a slave. In the ancient world that the Lord was running this command in, that was the norm. If you were a king, if you were a noble, you did absolutely nothing except ride your horse and have a good time or ride your camel and have a good time. You know what the Lord said? The Lord said to all the nobles, all the kings, all the aristocrats, he's saying all those people that are working, that are tilling the soil, that take care of your vineyards and that take care of your crops, he says, I want you to realize that when I give the command to stop working, it includes the maidservants and the men servants. It includes even your animals. The Lord picks up for the veterinary concerns of this population. Even an ox cannot be made to work seven days a week. We don't realize it. It doesn't hit us. But, but do you realize the incredible revolution that God's simple command, everyone has got to take a break one day a week, the tremendous influence that it's had upon our own culture? In fact, there's almost been a complete turnaround because in our culture now, the higher you go in your companies, the longer hours you work and the less breaks you take many times. And some executives that are at the very top are so stressed out, they can never take a break. Some of you work for some of those workaholics, and they think they're free. They think they're free. And some of you that just work down the line, that are the children of God, God's free men and women, deep in your souls because you have God as your daddy, have God as your king, you can rest in your heart. You can follow the rhythm of six days of work, a day of rest. You see the tremendous compassion. You see the tremendous love. The Lord said, I have created man, and everybody has got to take a break. Now, before we go in and look at the motivation clause that's given to us in the book of Deuteronomy, and then we're also going to look at the motivation clause that's given to us in the book of Exodus, I want to remind you of something that's just commonplace, that you would see it, but it's often easy to take it for granted. Notice it says, six days you shall what? Everybody say it real loud. Six days you shall? What should you do for six days? Work. Now, the, it's not an absolute command that with some technology and with some help, we can have Saturday and Sunday as kind of a break or whichever days you take. But it, one of the things I want you to see here is that God doesn't say that life is one spring break. He doesn't say that, that life is one Christmas vacation. He doesn't say that life is just one Hawaii vacation. He says that we've got to get in the rhythm of work. You've got to labor. Now, we can take that as a bad thing. But I want to share with you that every single one of you that are listening to me, if you don't get up in the morning, if there's no reason for you to get up, there's no reason for you to work, you have no feel for my life is doing something, then you're going to be in my study and need counseling. You're going to be in some psychiatrist's office and you're going to need counseling. Your life is going to come unglued because the Lord built you to get up and have to get up and work really hard. 
How many of you listening to me can testify to that? Man, you found yourself inside and, and maybe the weather was bad and, and you couldn't do anything. You just couldn't do anything for a period of days. And suddenly you're able to get out and do something with your hands. Do something that produced something. Didn't that bring fulfillment to you? That's part of the rhythm. It's part of the rhythm of life. And so the command goes like this. The Lord is saying that he designed us six days. We've got to work. The Lord's not calling his children to laziness. Lots of commands like in Thessalonians, if you don't work, you don't eat. Lots of practical, hard-hitting commands like that. But then the rhythm is you work hard, you produce something, and then you rest. There's a tremendous privilege in that. In fact, I would encourage you to take that principle, that idea, that rhythm of set yourself goals, goals of accomplishment. Set yourself some time limits in which to accomplish those goals and then rejoice in the completed task. The tragedy is that some of you never set your life up so that there's ever a completed task. It's always just one perpetual, uncompleted task. And so there's never the rest of fulfillment. And that denies the principle of this commandment. There has to be that rhythm of work, the accomplishment of goals, and then a time of rest to enjoy the completion of that task. Now, there's two reasons the Lord has given us in the Word of God for why he's given us this requirement to stop working and to make a day special, a special time of intimacy with God. The two reasons are given in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 11, the example of our creator. And we also have Deuteronomy 5, 15, the remembrance of the agony of slavery and the joy of freedom. Let's turn, first of all, turn back to Exodus, chapter 20, and let's look at uh, the example of God in creation. Exodus, chapter 20, let's look at verse 11. And here we have Exodus's rendition of this command. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall not do any work. Now look at verse 11 for the motivation clause, or the reason clause. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In obeying the rhythm of six days of work followed by a day of rest, we enter in to the celebration of the creation week. What the Lord is saying is that when we understand that we can stop and rest once in seven days, when we have this principle and this rhythm of we work hard for a period, but then we enjoy the, the fruit of our labor, what we're confessing is that we're not God, but that we can join with God. What we confess is the fact that we believe that God created the heaven and the earth, that he created our lives, that he's the one that gave us breath, that he's the one that has given us all of our abilities, he's the one that gives us our opportunities, he's the one that gives us our failures and our successes. We confess that he is our creator and we are the creature. And he invites us to join him. Even the great creator labored for six days and then he sat back to enjoy his work. Do you know that an ox never sits back and says, boy, look at that beautiful plowed field. 
I've never heard an ox say that. An ox just mother, you know, takes some more grain and, you know, manure, and does some plop in its thing, and that's it. But every farm that I know, I go and visit a farmer, the first thing they do, man, they've got to take me out in their field and they've got to look at this. The wheat crop comes up, man, that wheat crop busts the ground, and boy, that beautiful sight. Man, they take me out there. Then later on when it begins to mature and you can, you can hear the wind just moving through that beautiful field that's about to be harvested. And the farmer goes, wow, look at this. Kind of like this. They contemplate, they think, they rejoice in that. You get an artist that works hard at producing beautiful masterpieces, good artists. You go over to their home, what do they want to do? They want to show you what they did. Do you realize that only people that are made in the image of God can think and feel and decide and have the great joy of contemplating and knowing that they accomplished something, that they worked hard and they produced something. You join your creator in doing that. But I want to share something with you. If you can't ever stop, if you've got to keep going for seven days, then you know what? You think you're God. Because Jesus said, my father is working until this day and so am I. And there's a sense in which the creator God doesn't need to rest. God didn't stop his work of creation because when he came to the end of the sixth day, he was going, boy, I'm just so tired out. It wasn't like Dave Worth at the end of a couple laps around the track. And God says, oh, I need a rest. Let's have the seventh day. No, he stopped working because he was done. He was done with creation, but he didn't stop working because Jesus said the Father is working and I am working even till this day in the Gospel of John. So God is always working, but I want to share something about you and me. We're not God. I want to say that again. It's so simple. Shirley MacLaine thinks she's God. I'm not God, and Shirley isn't either. You know why? You see, when you put your head down at night, every single night, when you go into la-la land, every single one of us are all the same. Some of you have IQs of 170, and some of you barely tip the IQs test at 35. But when you're sound asleep, you're almost identical. You're out of it. You're vulnerable. You need protection. You're in another world. And the scripture says that your heavenly daddy watches over you if you're one of his children. And you know what? All I need to do to drive you bonkers is just keep shaking you. Every single time you go to dream things, I just need to shake you a little bit and not let you dream and not let you get a good day of sleep. And you know what? I can give you all the symptoms of being a drug addict. And all that it shows you is how much we need rest. And I would pray that some of you will listen very, very hard. I want you to ask yourself, can you stop today? This is the first day of the week. The Christian equivalent of the day of celebration, the day in which we especially honor the Lord. Can you stop today? Can your mind be quiet? If not, the problem is that you think that you're God. Whew, that gets pretty convicting. Tired in need of a rest and the reminder that we need to remember that we're not God, that we're not the almighty creator, that we're just made out of clay and we need to take a rest. 
Uh, I know this message, and we're going to be continuing this study on the commandment about remembering the Sabbath and about the need to take a rest. Yet as I've been thinking about this, and as Mary and I are in the hectic pace of ministering here on Truth Encounter and speaking at various Bible conferences and trying to write books in between, I know that some of you have been writing to us and reminding us about the need to be sure that we keep in touch with one another, that we take some time to smell the flowers. As as I've been teaching today on this theme of tired and need of a rest, I, I couldn't help but think of my old friend Vance Havner that's now in heaven with our Lord, who told me, Dave, I remember sitting in a, in a cafe in New York City, and he said, Dave, one of the things I want to remind you of in the midst of the busyness of ministry, don't forget to take some time out to smell the flowers. And certainly the Lord gave us the Sabbath, the time to take a break, this principle that each one of us needed to stop once in our week and take a day off where we have time for relationship with God, relationship with our spouses, with our children, relationship with our friends. We do need to take a break. 